Welcome to the Heart to Kill podcast, the official podcast of the Heart to Kill program, the world's leading program for driven individuals looking to gain direction and momentum, where we aim to break down the complex, multifaceted and holistic factors of human performance and optimization. Both on the program and on this podcast, we will be discussing and excavating everything pertaining to psychological resilience, physical robustness, and leading by example with discipline and tenacity to create a culture of winning, especially in the turbulent, frenetic, and high tempo world of the ambitious individual. This is Mark, the creator, senior DS, and head coach of the Heart of Court program. Let's get stuck straight into it. So, Mike, finally sitting down to do a podcast. Um, not only in the grand scheme of us being connected, but also in the past hour it's taken us to fucking set this studio up. How are you doing, mate? I'm very good, thank you, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. That was a fucking nightmare, by <laughs> the way. That was an endurance event for those watching, just even getting the studio set up. But we're here, we're talking finally. Um, so obviously this is going to go out probably on my channel and on your channel as well. So what I guess we can do is kind of exchange introductions. So if you want to start us off, give us like the, the elevator pitch of who Mike is. Yeah, I mean, well, we've pretty much just done it for the past hour. We just yeah. did, we should have just recorded that, mate, a video in the corner. Um, so my name is Mike Chadwick. I'm a former paratrooper. Well, I've actually gone back into the parachute regiment on a reserve contract. Special Force Support Group Operator, Royal Army Physical Training Corps Instructor, and ultimately left the regular military to take up full-time in coaching from elite athletes all around the world. Ultimately, I became an author as well, which was a bit <laughs> random, uh, and I sell socks, which is the most random thing, but yeah. so paratroopers can read and write, and yeah. there is a market for socks, which yeah. is... Yeah, there we go. Every day's a school day, unless you're a paratrooper. Um, yeah, so in terms of returning that, obviously, if you listen to this on the Hard to Kill podcast, you'll know sort of me, who I am. I actually went to Parachute Regiment Depot, failed. And as a result, that's took me into the route that I'm now currently on, have been for the past 11 years, which is coaching, which is coaching high-performance people to achieve high-performance outcomes. So as a result, even though there's been two very, very um, convergent paths taking us to the same destination, you and I have essentially, bar the socks, ended up in the same kind of field, doing a similar sort of thing with a similar caliber of individual, albeit there's various nuances to how we deliver and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's great to be finally sat down and, and doing a podcast with you, mate. So start us off, tell us a little bit more sort of about you, about about, uh, about coaching and how you developed a penchant for coaching and human development in the Parachute Regiment. Through mishap and misfortune, actually. So I actually started coaching. Ultimately, I got on my first PTI course, which is the first rung on the ladder. I had no intention of coaching, no intention of being um, a physical training instructor. And ultimately, to become a paratrooper is hard enough. To become a physical training instructor within the parachute regiment is on another level because everyone's fit. You know, when I went through depot, nine out of 60-odd passed. So those nine are pretty fit. So then you times that by... 10 times it by 100 and everyone in the parachute regiment and then you've got to step and be the one percent of that to go and be fit enough to go on the pti course it can be quite difficult so i actually got on one because um one year i didn't get a report so when i went to sfsg um i never got a report off a commander which is a big no-no by the way and i got pulled into the ceo's office i was meant to get promoted um, and i got pulled in the ceo's office and said you can't get promoted because you haven't got a report we are so sorry please don't sue us what would you like? And I was just like, PTI course, done. That, this on a Friday, yeah. Sunday, straight on the PTI course. And that was it. I just thought, take my chances. The likelihood of me getting that so slim. Yeah. Went down there, really enjoyed it, came back, still had no intention of doing it. All I wanted to do was be a soldier at the highest tip of the spear I could. All the intentions are going on, special forces selection. Went and passed the briefing course. Uh, was meant to go on in the June. I, it was actually, I wrote a post on it the other day. My wife... My now wife was graduating from uni at the time, um, showed how young we was back then. And I got told I wasn't allowed to go there. Um, 
I was on a range doing something and I kicked off that hard um, because I was I was commanding the range as opposed to just, just running with it. I, I could do everything that they wanted us to do. It was easy. And the boss who told me no had just gone to his missus' graduation. Yeah. So I was like, I ain't having that. And I was already in the bad books anyway because I was meant to be on SF selection and got told I couldn't go because I was meant to go to Kenya for like a training course. I was like, now, if they need a lunch chat to go to Kenya and we can't go if, the, if I'm not there, we're all in big trouble. Like, Tupac is in all sorts of trouble. So anyway, I kicked off that hard. I got sent up to Catrix to be a PTI. And that's where I just thought, you know what? I'm not sitting still. I wasn't allowed to go on SF selection for one more year. So I thought, right, I'm just going to go to uni. Yeah. So I went and signed up to uni, got myself on a degree in coaching and just fell in love with it, mate. I genuinely did. I, I was, I just was, I bend every external influence I had. I had no Xbox, no computer screen. I didn't go on the piss. I was the most boring bloke in the world, but I studied every single night. In my room in the block, I had a bed, a desk, a series of books and a laptop. And I'd study every night and implement theory into practice every single day. And I did that for two years straight at Paradise Depot, training between 50 and 200 people every day with the theory I had in the nighttime. My knowledge and my practical application just went through the roof. And I just thought, I'm not settling there. I, I loved it and thought, this is my path. I'm all right at this stuff. Keep going. I got selected for the PT Corps and just kept going until I was writing programs for the Army. Yeah, that's awesome. And there's, there's some degree of similarity in that between you and I in that it wasn't plan A. Like, for me, it was actually ended up being plan C, me getting into coaching. And for you, obviously, it wasn't plan A. Plan A was to go, you know, SF route and all that sort of stuff. But through a serendipitous turn of events, you ended up doing the thing that hopefully you agree is what you were put on this earth to do which is you know coach and inspire and, and educate and lead other people you get into pt core um you obviously had some fairly well nothing fairly some very significant breakthroughs in terms of how the the army views strength and conditioning athletic development tactical athleticism all that sort of stuff talk us through that sort of period mate well that started in 2014 actually so coining the term tactical athlete was something that so when i went uh, i started depot in 2007 Passed Paradise Depot um, April 2008, went straight to battalion. I then went and became an instructor in 2014 and realized I was delivering the same stuff that was delivered to me that all that time ago. Only now I was in uni every day. So I was getting all this knowledge on the body and how to train people. I was thinking, there's a better way to do this. We're just destroying people, which is right. And there's a right of passage and there's a right to do that. There must be a better way. Let's treat people like athletes. And that's where I thought, tactical athletes, treat them like that. And, and that's where I ran. I ran with it and just kept going with it. And I wanted soldiers to treat themselves as an athlete because you start calling and coining someone an athlete, they start believing and acting like an athlete. And that effective communication transpires into something much greater than what I ever envisioned it would do. And it just snowballed from there. And you know full well, and I, 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 I take a lot from your social media platform and the way that you communicate um, to, you know, to your, your clientele. And I think it's a very, very powerful thing that you can possibly do. And it's just one word yeah. and, athlete, it's, yeah. and it changed everything mm. and then just by people believing that you start calling someone athlete they start thinking and believing like an athlete yeah you know looking at the scoff and the cookouts would an athlete eat that mm. am i going out on the piss yeah well, we still do but would an athlete do that yeah that's part of the tactical athlete package i guess that's the distinction between tactical athlete and, and like a true a clean paying athlete as i would refer to them like an olympian and stuff is an Olympian doesn't have the societal pressure and the inclination to go and get shiters most weekends. So you kind of got to beg that into the plan. You know what I'm referring to here. Do you feel like you experienced a degree of pushback from elements in the military that were reluctant to change and to view their guys as athletes? Yeah, massively. So when I went to the PT Corps, immediately, uh, because I got top student on the, on the class one course, I then got given my own unit straight away. And when I went to that unit, I flipped the pass rates of physical development straight on its head and had yeah. this hate. And because it was part of that was a HQ element, yeah. I had all the brass 
looking down and they could see what was happening right in front of their eyes. And that came through individualization. So me just going and individually coaching people. So yep. the way the military works, and it works to a, to a degree, is that here's a plan and everyone in the army must fit into that. And I said, let's flip it. Why don't we fit the plan to suit the athlete? That's very difficult for at the time 80,000 people without the help of technology. But when we break it down into what everyone we've got from a PTI to a core blow, uh, core lazy, you know, we can do that. There's a way to do it. People don't do it because it takes too much time. Yeah. It's not efficient. And that's one of the reasons why there's shit personal trainers out there because they sell the generic approach. Now make a quick win, and we spoke about it earlier, but ultimately not everyone fits into that small pocket. And I then grew significantly and ended up becoming part of this group known as the Brains. And our, our job was to travel around the country delivering UK SEA stuff. So we became like the trained educators for the, for the army. And I was upskilling you know, people and commanders as well. But then the weird thing was is that the people I was teaching was reporting on how good I am, which is a very strange position to be in. So I'm teaching someone who's then telling me how good I'm teaching them. And it was like, I was just thinking in my head, what is going on here? Especially like in, a, in a military environment where typically it's, it's relatively authoritarian and demanded for someone to re return that as like, you know, you, well, it's good leadership. That's what it is. Is actually them giving it back up the chain or back down the chain, as it were. But yeah, I'm guessing they caught you quite off guard. Yeah, well, I mentioned something that really kicked off and it hurt people. As I said, you know, the drama of PT Corps at the moment is we need officers. We don't take officers from Sandhurst. And there was a stat that came out where the major, like there were so many people in Sandhurst who all had sports science degrees. And the reason is because it's the easiest one to get. And I can say that because that's the one I've got. But it's um, I, in my head, I'm just thinking, use them. There's some incredible brains there who understand the body. Use them. Uh, but PT Corps don't hire officers. And I said, the problem with PT Corps, I said, is people are writing policy on physical development. Those same people are there because they got themselves fit back in the 90s. The and war that's of scary. It was a war of attrition. Like, if you look at even what I was exposed to going through depot and what probably a lot of people, even up until you've had an intervention, was like, you know, this is the this is the program. On top of that, you're going to have a few beastings every day. And if you don't break mega, you're going to make it through. If you do, shit bust, find an alternative. Whereas now, obviously, you're bringing a, a contrarian degree degree to it that's a lot more intelligent of, well, why don't we actually take people who know what they're doing rather than just doing what we've always done? And why don't we utilize that to make better athletes? And if we look to the States, that's definitely something that I feel has been transplanted across. And they're arguably a little bit further ahead of us in terms of their attitude towards tactical athlete development. And they've been a little bit more professional with it. But it kind of seems like it made sense. Like, yeah. it just seems fucking logical to me that we would do that. I remember when when I was at Depot, Depot for that, that brief period, our platoon commander at the time had a degree in sports science. And it was the little things, the little interventions, like not letting us get away early on a Friday after we've just done really hard PT to make a stretch in the corridors. And just small interventions were like, oh, maybe we should be a little bit more proactive. And then less people turn up on Monday with like injuries that are so easily managed or, or, or overcome just by a little bit of intervention with the right knowledge in the right places. Yeah, and it's very difficult for you to, because it just so happens that that officer has a degree and just so happens he's at that stage at that time, that may not happen for another three turns of the wheel. So you, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and listen, Depot as a rite of passage. You have to destroy people. You have to ensure that you're getting the right product at the other end. And they've shown that, the boys shown that are not pitting. The right people at the right time, they go through it. As I mentioned the stat before, I think it was like nine out of 65 that passed, rightly so. One thing that I always made abundantly clear is that when I write these programs, especially for the pathways going back into the parachute regiment, we don't take that away. 
All we do is earn the right to go and get that thrashing. Yeah, yeah. Let's not remove it. Let's just provide a foundation of strength for the soldiers going there. And you can do what the fuck you want with them. You yeah. can layer and layer and layer because we know that they won't break. And those who therefore are good enough will move forward. Yeah, and I think that's a really important distinction to make is it's when you're getting someone and you have no understanding of, of how they're built and the degree of fragility they may be operating with and then you smash them, obviously they break. Whereas that person could have had an enormous aptitude Whereas, like you said, if you ensure that you've almost done your due diligence and you've done the responsible professional thing of making sure they are to a standard, then you add more layers of stress and pressure. Arguably, you actually get a better product because everyone's starting from a higher fucking set point. And, you know, the people who aren't going to be there physiologically are obviously going to kind of see themselves out. But it allows you, I'd argue, to get a higher commodity at the top because you can increase the pressure because you've earned the right to increase the pressure. Just like someone who, who, who doesn't deadlift like, I'm going to fucking deadlift 200 kilos. We might get it up, high possibly going to break. Whereas if someone spent ages like improving their movement fidelity, et cetera, and so forth, their ability to get higher up that, that uh, echelon of performance is going to be easier for them to attain. So you get a better product because you can place more stress on the system. 100%. Yeah. Where did your knowledge of this come from? So what happens in, in the aftermath of that one? You and I were kind of talking about this off air whilst we were blundering around trying to set all this stuff up. But um, I was in kind of a performance quote-unquote environment from quite a young age with, with playing rugby and being very very ambitious with that so i was fascinated by like how are the fastest players getting faster how are the biggest players getting bigger how are people getting stronger so i was already fascinated by that but it was just like a childlike curiosity which i think has actually stayed with me and is part of the reason that i'm able to learn and retain knowledge and then like actually apply it to other people is like yourself is a childlike curiosity of like well how can you do that how can that be done how can we improve that I didn't know enough to get myself because where, where I applied from is not like a recruiting stronghold for the infantry for total honest with you. So I had no one to speak to, didn't know anyone had been in the regiment, didn't know what to expect. Turned up there on week one. What happened, you know, kind of happened, got broken. And I was just extraordinarily frustrated thinking, right, well, plan A didn't go to plan. Plan B didn't go to plan. I was actually sat in a smoking shelter outside uh, the fucking um, the bar over in, was it Vimy where the bar was? Wherever it was. And I was sat there and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And one of the lads, as we're having a buy was like, why don't you try being a PT? Like, you, you've all, you're always speaking to the lads in the block about, you know, rugby or this, that, and the other. Why don't you give it a crack? So that night I got on my PT qual and it was back then, 2013, was when it was still actually a little bit of a hurdle to get a PT qualification. It was like a six-week course rather than a fucking 60-second thing it is these days. And in doing that, I realized, like, I had a thirst for knowledge and I was very similar to you in that I was extraordinarily studious. So I'd get up from my home in market raising out in the sticks of Lincolnshire, uh, get to the gym where I'd be studying four, half, five in the morning, do my first fear session, and then do the course from like eight to five, drive home, then get it all back out. And I, the way in which I learned the best, my best academic practice is to write it out and then go through it a third time and then highlight and paraphrase. And that's how I'd learn really, really quickly. Obviously then I was, I was in a situation where I was walking the gym floor and I had an ability to communicate. I had a real thirst for knowledge. So I wanted be able to apply what I knew because I knew that if I could apply it within 48 hours it's probably going to stick a little bit more more effectively so I was just doing that and doing that and doing that and then I realized oh, I still don't know enough so then I started getting myself on like <clears throat> I went uh, I did UKSA I did um I worked on an internship at Notch Trent University in the high performance center then I ended up through a guy I was on my PT course even through that introduction uh introduced to a, a guy called Grant Brown who was um, working in performance at Loughborough so I ended up going to Loughborough so on and so forth and it was always just a genuine childlike curiosity of like, I don't quite understand that system fully. Like, how can I how can I get to know that more? Studying it, implement it, give it to someone, fucking see what happens. Oh, okay, cool. I'm pretty confident that actually works. 
and then just iterating, iterating, iterating. Some people have hypothesized that I'm relatively autistic. You might be the same because like, if I'm really interested in something, I can hear it. And you could ask me in like fucking three years and one day and I'll be able to recite what you just said because I've applied it and I'm really interested in it. So that's where my kind of knowledge came to with it. After a couple of years uh, off the back of Depot, which was a really hard thing to get to terms with, and it's probably important I speak with that, as anyone who's put their, their heart and soul and their mind into getting fit enough for something and then you get turned away and you get told, you know, this is not for you, you're getting broken, so on and so forth. That's really, really hard to deal with emotionally, psychologically. It's quite hard to deal with. So for a while, I was almost a little bit like, well, I was very pissed off. I was like, well, I was prepared insufficiently. Like no one ever fucking told me how to do this. No, I was never shown how to do this. I've never coached how to do this. So I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And that actually then encouraged me to work with the caliber of people who were going to be finding themselves in that environment. I was saying, look, fucking an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of the cure. If you train in this way, from what I now know of that experience and now what I know of your mechanics, you won't have to go through the same shit I've been through. So why don't we start applying this? And then as a result, the trajectory kind of just went up and started working with more people. And then, you know, I found other passions, which I'm sure we can talk to in a moment. So, you know, there's other people that I'm now equally as passionate, sometimes more passionate as working with. Um, to help them ensure that their body never fails them. And then obviously that branched into psychology, into their belief systems, into the quite niche and nuanced stuff I do now to make sure the top two inches never fails as well. So that's kind of how I got to it, got to where I am now. Yeah, and that thirst for education that you've got is is pretty unique, I think, in our world. Because one of the dramas that I would, I would always say in our profession is that learning something new often contradicts prior belief. Therefore, we have our set ways and you will coach someone a certain way and I will. And it can often be very difficult for us to learn something new and go, that actually doesn't work. And that's why I think a lot of people don't continue to educate themselves because they get themselves in a position where it's working right now. But as we well know that science evolves so, so quickly, the way that um, we understand our bodies evolving every single day. I think uh, I read something from Dr. Ash, it was like a thousand research papers or something going out a day. He's like, how can you possibly keep up with that? Yeah. And so where are you now with education? You settled? Fucking never will be, mate. And it's like, we spoke earlier about that Dunning-Kruger effect as well. You definitely do have that, have that moment in your career when you're like, I've got this fucking nailed down, like I'm the boy, people are gonna be coming to me. And then someone will present or a, a challenge or a difficulty will present itself. And it happened to me multiple times in my first couple of years of coaching, where I'd find myself back on PubMed or back in like my NASM textbooks and be like, fucking hell, I've not even thought about that. And it opened a new avenue of exploration and an entirely new chapter of which there were like probably a thousand subchapters and you realize you're, you're a fucking idiot again. And I've continued to go like that, but my thirst has just taken me organically towards the root of where the top two inches then meets our physiology and how we can fuck with the code and ultimately change the outcomes that we get. So I got really interested last year in neuroscience and then I went to go and study uh, with a Flow Research Collective and, and entered for my master's in neuroscience. Uh, before that, it was neuro-linguistic programming. So looking at the, the power that words have to influence our thoughts and ultimately our outcomes. Yeah, like I don't think you ever, well, hopefully as, as you just spoke to, we never find an upper limit for when we get bored of the learning. I'm very similar in how I live my life now that you referred to when you were at Depot in the, it's kind of get up, do fizz, like work on improving humans all day and then kind of finish work, quote unquote, and then I'll pick up the books. And it would just be reading through pure love of doing it. And I want to make sure I'm really clear with this distinction. If you don't enjoy it and you don't have a genuine passion and curiosity for it, don't force yourself to do it. Just have the courage and the confidence to pick up what you inherently enjoy learning about. And for me, that happens to be nuances of psychology. But like at the moment, I'm reading a book by a guy called Yuri Nisi on like how social signaling and like incentivization works. 
because then we can look at, well, how if I apply that to a human model of behavior and of learning and decision models, how could we, again, apply that to make someone more motivated by stacking the environment in their favor so they do the right thing over the wrong thing and et cetera, so on and so forth. And also business is an element of that as well. Business was really new to me up until about four or five years ago, and it presents an entirely new challenge. And sometimes it feels like they're, they're, they're convergent, like that you work on business, then you work on your craft. If you can find a way to bring those together, that's also really fascinating. So working on business is something that I'm really fascinated about as well, mate. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same, even, even more acutely. I only left the army two years ago where my whole life was determined by a piece of paper outside my room where I'd go and read orders and crack on with the day. And that, yeah. and it, so to leave that and all of a sudden you're in the, in the great big wide world and you're trying to organize businesses. And from there, obviously, my businesses have gone left and right. And it's not just coaching anymore. I've had to put a business head on and try and take my coaching philosophy and apply that into business. And ultimately, it comes down to that, what you, exactly what you've just said if you don't enjoy it. And I term it as finding your why. Yeah. And it's the first question I ask whenever I bring an athlete on for, this, for my, my tier one, for my elite level guys. Why are you doing this? What is the point? Why would you put your body through that? Mm. Just settle. Yeah. And I'm looking for someone to say, I ain't settling. Mm. This is me and this is who I want to be. Yeah. And now I need your help, Mike. Yeah. And straight away, I, okay. And I've got another 30 minutes on the conversation. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I'm yeah. in straight away. I know exactly that's the type of person I want to work. And I think you and I are very akin in that in terms of how we quote unquote recruit or we get people to apply to what it is we do because we're not for everyone. And I make uh, no bones about that. And I, you and I again spoke off air about there's been times when you, I think you turned quite a number of, if you're happy to say a number, you, you turned a lot of people away for your program. And therein lies the value because we understand the process. We require the, the level of aptitude and more importantly, the level of aptitude that's required to extract the value and do the work and in, uh, invest the effort that will get us to that outcome. And if a person hasn't got those things, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It's really important we communicate that. It's not like, right, you're a fucking shit cunt, go away, this is not for you. It's more like, I'm just gonna be totally honest with you. I, I understand how this equation works and this is what I need to input into this process for this to, to get this outcome. And I just don't think you're at that point yet. And as a result, we're then able to just apply fucking square peg methodologies to an extent to square peg people. And obviously we've always got to trim, trim the corners on that to make it fit and make it bespoke and ensure that we're coaching the person, not the process. But being very honest, and we're not looking to sell, quote unquote, we're not looking for, yeah, here's a sign up page, fucking pay some money, here's a program, fuck off. We're actually looking for the right people that we know we can turn into a success story is night and day different with 99.9% .9 of the industry who are looking to build a funnel, create a landing page, here's your product, fuck off. And they'll get found out. Yeah. Always. So you, you see them you see them all over social media. They'll get acute gains, acute wins, and their numbers, their monthly recurring revenue will go through the roof. But ultimately, people aren't stupid, especially athletes. They're not stupid. And over time, if you haven't got the knowledge, you're going to get found out. Yeah. They don't care about your business now. So they don't care about anything else other than winning. And again, when we spoke about it before, it'd be lovely for me to go and scale and, and become a bigger businessman and, and put more food on the table for my family. But ultimately, I want to win. And in order for me to provide my utmost attention to my athletes, I can't scale that. I can take on minimal amount of people in the tier one to ensure they have me every step of the way. And that is why we have one of the highest pass rates across every arduous course in the country is because I provide that attention. It's impossible to scale that. Yeah. Um, 
I just I haven't got the time. You know, there's 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 just no time in it. So it's really important that I hand pick who I want to go with, and that's not hand pick. That I never ask a question about physiological when we first take people on. I don't care whether they are. All I care yeah. is their why. That yeah. first question is the most powerful. We'll learn who what you're capable of later on, and then I and then I'll be brutally honest, and I have done before when I've took people on who sold me the dream, and they've been like. I want to do this. Here's where I am. Here's what I want to do. And I'll go, mega, let's test you then. See what you're capable of. I love your attitude. Let's go. Test them and go, mate, you ain't going anywhere near that. I said, not for a long time anyway. Mm, yeah. And I'm open and I've got to be. And I think that's a really powerful, unique way of coaching. Often, again, a lot of people don't want to hear that. If you want to go to somewhere very special, then you've got to have that fully, you've got to be fully open to listen to the criticism. You 100%. take the praise at the right time, you take the criticism at the right time. If you're going to hire a consultant, which essentially is what we are, really consultants in our roles and coaches, you have to be aware that accountability is not always going to be comfortable. Like most people that apply to work in programs such as ours, like our type A people, they're in, in, like, implied towards doing, and they like to do it. So therefore, fears, hard fears, grids, fears, taste and build, that's actually their comfort zone. Right? And it's not just about that. We're looking for above and beyond that in terms of the attitude and the caliber and sometimes it's going to be a hard pushback and you can either be a fucking victim about that and say, right, okay, he's got a point. Similar to what we were saying about learning earlier of like, right, let's take the ego out of the equation, let's subordinate that, let's lay the facts in front of us, break it down. Why am I frustrated? What am I frustrated about? What are we going to do about it? And how can ultimately we look to apply that? And I think that's what people are generally looking for in a coach most of the time. But I want to say something that's arguably a little bit controversial here, which is I've noticed a trend and you might have noticed as well. There's a lot of people who utilize or leverage their like past military experiences to, to pretend they're going to be a good coach. When actually what people tend to be looking for in guys like yourself is actually just your really high agency. Like it's not necessarily the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't the military that made you who you are, if that makes sense. Like it's an enormous part of, of how you now operate and how you communicate and that drive and determination to win and all of the experiences that you've been able to apply and generate the evidence as a result of. But you'd be a high agency person no matter where. You could, if you went to corporate banking, if that was your thing, you'd be a high agency person. If you went and fucking, you know, was was the guy who's organizes the bins, which is a really valuable role, you'd be the guy who's forward thinking. Like, how can we systemize this? How can we make this faster? How can we make this efficient? How can we make this better? And I think it's important that people understand that's what that you're looking for in a coach is someone who is investing their time to have those high agency conversations and see it from a 30,000 foot perspective, which, as you said, can't necessarily be scaled. You know, we're not looking to just plug a program in and fuck off because the level of conversations you're having about the level of challenges we're facing with the levels of depth and data and all of the measurables and milestones that are complicit in that takes energy, takes time, takes mental bandwidth. And you can't just scale that exponentially and look to it. And people are often really astonished and they probably are with you as well. And they come to the hard to kill and they're like, oh, I thought it was going to be like thousands of people in here. How can I have that level of conversation with a thousand people? It's just not going to fucking happen. It just can't happen. You know, following on from exactly what you just said, your athletic ability means fuck all in coaching. Yeah, yeah. How good you are as an athlete doesn't necessarily always cross over as being a coach. So whenever I do these, whenever I have um, people come on to me and they're, they're personal trainers or they're coaches, etc., and they're after a bit of advice, I say, well, what's the priority? What are you? Because looking for your Instagram, you're an athlete. And some people, and unfortunately, people are drawn in by that. Um, and they think because you can put this amount of, weight above your head, you're going to be able to teach me the same. And it's not necessarily, I mean, you just have to look at Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard, two of the greatest midfielders in football. I've had absolute nightmares of, of coaches. And you would have put your house on them being successful because yeah. they were successful as an athlete. The same detail applies in every walk of life. You know, I see it in the military all the time as the young Toms who are very good soldiers. And the moment they then go, well, he's a good soldier, make him a command appointment. But they're no good at command appointments. They're good mm. at being soldiers. They can take words and they can go and execute exactly what you need. They can't provide the words. 
They just go and do the actions. So one of the things I always say whenever people are going, trying to go into what we do, you've got to go all in. Whenever someone applies to me for coaching, I need that aim to be very unique, specific and linear and we go all in on it. I get so many calls a week with people come on and go, hi Mike, really want to be on the tier one coaching platform. I don't know yet whether I want to go Royal Marines or Parachute Regiment. I go, right, do me a favor, rebook a call when you figure that out. Gone, within 30 seconds, it's done. Do not come to me unless you've got a complete linear tunnel vision going, this is who I am and this is who I want to be and this is why I want to do it. Where do you want me? That's easy. But if you think that you're going to be an athlete and a coach, you can be both, but you'll never be the best at both. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's, there's just so many trade-offs. 100%. Yeah. And I speak to that a lot because the, the kind of, and the kind of meeting where you're right now in that conversation, that's where, that's definitely where you come alive and that's where you've got all the expertise because you've been there. So you spoke about the fact that maybe you don't demonstrate a lot of your athletic attributes and engagements on your socials, but obviously you've got the evidence of that you've been there, you've done it. So to an extent you are, there's still that aspirational identity for the young lads who are like, well, I fucking want to slice it out. Like he was SFSG and I want to be SFSG. So you're showing them that aspirational identity. I guess then what would come in a different walk of life is we get a lot of people who are similar, but they're not quite sure what they want to be. And it's, it's teaching them those skills of, well, if you've, if you've done the doing, now how could we make you someone who wants to do the communicating as an, as an example? And that is then when, again, we get people who think they can do it all. This is something I blame online coaching for as an industry, if I'm really honest, because for so long we've just given unrealistic expectations of you can fucking do it or you can be making a bit X, Y, and Z. And ultimately, it's not the truth. The part of a well-engineered, constructed strategy is there has to be trade-offs. So if you look at your guys, like, right, I want to go fucking, um, want to go depot. Okay, cool, we've got X week pipeline to get you there. That's going to take almost all of your focus in terms of like how you're administrating yourself, your training, your effort, your input. It's going to take everything. To then pretend, like you said, that you could be doing something else on the side is a little bit, I, I see it as immature when people try and do too many things at the same time. Yeah. Same as coaches, like, yeah, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But you've got to make a trade-off. As I said, I don't, <laughs> my missus will hate me saying this, we don't really do a lot. I don't really socialize. I don't go out on the piss. I never do any sort of things. So my life is just training, fucking coaching and education. That is it. And it's very linearly minded. And I think it takes people like you and I just to be very honest and with people and say, look, there has to be a trade-off. You can't be all things at once. You can't try to be one thing and be the other. And in the coaching industry, you can't be, especially bodybuilding, if I'm honest, I've been there, I'd walked that route and my business fucking tanked back in 2017 because I wasn't present in, on the floor in gym floor coaching at that point. That Just because I was able to do that thing did not mean I was a good coach. I was probably the worst coach I've ever been for that 12 weeks of my life, like without a shadow of a doubt. So it takes a real degree of maturity to accept that and say, well, what season of my life am I in? And am I going to give this everything? And that's why we're asking those questions on the application calls, because I want to see if you're in that season of your life. If you're not, that's cool. But if you are, well, let's fucking give it the berries. Like, yeah. let's, go, let's go all in. And the, the spectrum of coach or athlete goes a little bit further as well. So you could then decide, I'm going to be a coach. And let, don't, you can't let standards slip over here. But you also can't, like, you've got to still train, obviously. You've got to still remain healthy. You can stay in as physically great condition as what you possibly can. That will have an effect on your coaching because it takes time and you've only got so much time and energy. But then you go, right, oh, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to keep myself healthy. I'm going to keep myself ticking over. But I'm going to go all in on this coaching stuff. I'm going to do my qualifications. I'm going to get educated. But then what coaches then do is then go, right, well, I'm going to coach um, aesthetics. I'm going to coach performance. I'm going to do some weight loss stuff over here. And it's like, just, just pick one. What do you think leads people to do that? I know in my own head what, what my thoughts are. What do you think leads people to try and just be a fucking jack of all trades? Master of none. Yeah. I know there's a little bit more to that saying, but I genuinely believe that it's no. Who are you going to go to? You're going to go to someone who specializes in one area or you're going to go to someone who thinks that they specialize in all areas. 
That's why. And you will have adverse effects early on. And I just said this to Lucy, our intern, um, about what her niche is. And I said, we need to drive a niche. You need to be, I need to concentrate on one thing. Mine pretty much started as tactical athlete development. It was there. I have delved into elite sports from various organizations around the world, but they're at elite level. So it's a little bit more simpler than that's their life. I don't have to look at anything else other than like, I know when they're on the mats. Mm. I know when they're sparring. I know when they're training. It's really, really simple. You know, and you've got to ensure that you, you can manage that. Um, I think if you're going to go down the route and try and be a little bit of everything, again, energy and time. You can't educate yourself in everything. Yeah. You know, you've, as, as, as you're rightly saying about your educating, you're going down the neural route. That's a very difficult route to go down. So for you to try and um, absorb something else over here and become a nutritionist, it's yeah. going to be really difficult. Yeah. Um, and you can do it and you can go, I'm qualified in nutrition, but I'm not the best. So I went and hired the best. Yeah. So I brought him in and said, right, take that because I can't keep thinking about that because I want to keep doing this with the body. Yeah. But I know that I need that. So I need you to just take care of it because I want to put all of my energy and focus into this. Yeah, and that, that speaks to... It speaks to the value of, well, if we, if, we, if we go back from there, most coaches do that generalization because ultimately what you touch on is that they're terrified of creating a niche and therefore losing out on business. Whereas would you rather be the best or the only? Like, If you want to be the only, you have to be really clear. And in order to, to work with the right people, you're going to have to polarize a lot of other people. Right, the way in which you and I communicate, what we talk about, polarize a lot of people. Good, because you're seeing from afar yeah, and that's not for me. Or oh, that actually might be for me. I'm going to hang around and see what he's got to say and then I'll make a decision later on. So when you actually do that, you, you're able to become the fucking the only in your field and in your space, which as a result means you experience, you know, more clients wanting to work with you. And then you get to be in the fantastic position where you and I are that you can actually then, well, I need team to help me facilitate this. Because as you spoke about, nutrition's not your, it's weird. I've never spoke to many fucking bums nutrition. Uh, everyone hates it. It's just like, it's the, it's like the, the stepchild of coaching. It's like the thing that you, you have to, you have to know. And like I, I did the PN1 and PN2. So I've got like probably similar to yourself, got a good, a good level of knowledge there, but it's not what I'm passionate about. Therefore, I'm never going to be as good as someone who's really passionate about it. So let's, let's hire a team and plug that in. Same with like various different nuances of uh, various different elements and fields of coaching. It allows you to do what you do really well undistracted unperturbed and that's why people are coming to you because they want that they don't want to come to you like speaking to me about neurology and productivity and how they can optimize their body to facilitate that and then on the side be asking questions about i don't know how can i get better at playing fucking tiddlywinks yeah don't make ask someone else thank <laughs> you it's not yeah and i think i think the the best line is to stay in your lane yeah same as what i mentioned before about um i hired plug in rehab to take complete control about injury prevention and if worst case happens you look after my full rehabilitation out of my league mm. i'm very good at coaching over here i've got to stay in my lane it's mm. so so important that and I, I split development up across the board in four ways physiological psychological tactical and technical the soldiers who i coach tactical athletes their tactical and technical side of life is their soldiering mm. now if you want to get better at your sport do your sport yeah. you want to be a better soldier mm. soldier mm. i'll help you over here in the physiological and psychological stuff but if you're coming to me for soldiering advice, we're in big trouble. <laughs> we're, in, we're in deep waters here. Because um, that's not what I'm good at anymore. This is what I'm good at over here. So I can go and concentrate on that and stay in my lane in that. And I, again, I have to make that abundantly clear that mm. there's absolutely zero soldiering on this program for obvious reasons. YouTube soldiering. Yeah, YouTube, yeah. So same again, I'm very fond believer of staying in my lane. And I think that's 
a lot of people find that very difficult to do. They mm. find it really tough to be like, yeah, you've you've got your PM1 and PM2. It doesn't mean you can go on and be a nutritionist for yeah, you. I, I, I wouldn't plank it all over Instagram, but yeah, I'm now doing like nutritional coaching. Oh, 100%, yeah. but yeah. people will yeah. because they think, I'm so fruit. scared and missing yeah. out here that yeah. there's, there's potentially a client in there. I can, get, I can get another client on board there if I tell them I'm a nutritionist. I get probably one application per week at least for someone who's like wants to look in better condition where have you got my details from for that my whole social media presence is about performance-based goals not once do i ever mention composition or how aesthetically if you're in a performance-based world don't worry about how you look worry mm. about how you perform so whenever they come to me i'm like i'm not your guy like and i'm open i go here's two or three people you can go yeah. look at who are you guys and i think that's i don't think there's any dramas with that it's like no not at all it actually makes the whole coaching space better if we're collaborative and we're like, well, he's your man for that, good possible in the future, he'll be have a client who's maybe in wicked nick and he's like, I'm thinking about joining the Marines, what should I do? Oh, there's your fucking boy. Yeah. Like, and we're able to collaborate because the, the issue, one of the many issues with the coaching space is a bit of a race to the bottom. A lot of people trying to undercut one another and backstab each other, et cetera, so on and so forth. And we've already got a really tarnished reputation in the public eye. Other than people who've had great relationships with coaches, as maybe you and our clients have, most people have a pretty cynical view of coaches. They think that we're fucking idiotic, we're not educated, we don't know what we're doing, we can't add value, we rip off merchants, all that sort of stuff. And the more we play at doing something we can't actually do, the worse we make that. So yeah. it's actually just a, a larger responsibility to the industry as a whole, as well as to the client and to your fucking self to just put your hands in and be like, nah, it's probably not for me. Like, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Well, I have two things whenever I do a call with an athlete mm. and it finished with, it starts with why and I literally finish with, do I like you and kind of help you? They're two really important questions because we're going to do, we're going to do it as a team. So I invite them into our team full of doctors, nutritionists, rehab instructors, data analysis and accountability coaches. Mm. So if I like you, you can come and join our team. We're going to go and run at your aim head first because your why is as strong as mine. Number two, I might like you, but can I help you? Mm. And there's been so many times I go, do you know what? I, I like you, mm. I like the project, but I just don't think I'm the right guy. Mm. I don't want to lose. So it's really important for me to be, take it off the table and go, I'm not your guy for that. You know, it's just not me. Mm. I can't do it. Yeah, because obviously you've got your subject matter expertise and all of the systems and the trainings and the content and the education, everything inside your business and your program is geared up to develop excellence in one field. So if it's slightly like out, outside of that, it's just going to be a constant frustration for you because you're trying to meet a need you haven't really catered for. And it's going to be a constant frustration for them because they're probably going to be saying like, well, where's this? Or it hasn't covered that off and et cetera, yeah. so on and so forth. I think one thing we should cover though is that we can, we, we can do that because we're in a nice position to do so. Now, listen, the most primary thing that you must do as in any sort of working environment is put food on the table. So if that means take on every single person you possibly can get your hands on, then so be it. I'll be the first person to go and do that. If I needed that money, but I didn't think I could do it, I'm telling you right now I'll do it. Because if that was the difference between my family eating or not, I'm taking it on. But I'm also in the mindset that I'll take it on and I'll learn really quick. Yeah. I'll go away and I'll make sure I can do that. Yeah. When I was, um, I know you do a lot of stuff in America, so I don't know if I can say that actually. So <laughs> I, I'll fuck it, I'll say it. So I went and did... Um, we, I own a piece of technology yeah. um, and we went, was going for a contract out in America and it was for a National Guard state and we was getting it and it was really big, pulled me out of the army and all sorts of stuff and it was, um, it, was, it was happening really fast and was worth an awful lot of money. And what happened was it got passed up to their boss who owned a few states and he was like, I like it, so you could do a few states. And I was like, Okay, 
can we? Well, at first, I was like, 100%. Of course we can. Got off, got off the phone to the senators and all sorts, and then was straight on to my developers at the tech company. I was like, boys, can we do this? <laughs> I just said, yeah. And they're like, fuck's sake, Mike. Save, save a minute. Anyway, it passed up that high. I ended up delivering a presentation to Google uh, to take on the full H2F contract for the military. Bear in mind, I'm a young guy here. My company is very, very young. The tech company is very young. And I was thinking, we, we the, the plan was to mitigate the $1.6 billion uh, MSKI uh, injury fucking yearly list. And I was thinking, oh my, what the fuck is going on here? But at every single stage, they were at the question, can you do it? And every single stage, I went, yeah. Because that was a big thing for me to take on. I was thinking, we fucking can do it. And after every single call, though, I went away and had my head in the books, studying. Developers were in all sorts of time into all sorts of nights and feeding themselves. And, and you can probably imagine what these guys were feeding themselves on Coke and Crisp and all sorts. <laughs> and I'm going, yes, we can do it. We will find a way to do it. Build it. Build it. Let's go. Let's go. And I had that mindset. So I'm under no illusion that there is times when you go, yes, I can do it. And you, But you have to go and learn it. Yeah. You can't just say, yeah, I'll do it. And you'll take him on. And you'll continue in your system that you do for performance-based goals. And hopefully it gets them stage ready. Yeah. It won't work. Yeah. And You've I think got to go and study. That speaks to what I said earlier about you being high agency of like, oh, yeah, and I'll, I'll find a way. Um, one of the first assessments we look at when people join the Hard to Kill program is we assess their growth-mindedness. You'll probably be familiar with like the growth-mindedness model of like Carol Dweck. And we literally assess that because then we know like what's the, what velocity of change is this person likely to be able to deal with. If they're very fixed minded, well, the good thing about being growth minded is that's not finite. We can obviously look to change that and we'll tailor their uh, their protocols and their syllabus to, to be reflective of that. But ultimately, we, you know, we, we're looking for high agency people because they're able to be like, right, OK, let's demonstrate realistic optimism, realistic in being, OK, it's going to be hard. We're going to have to fucking do a few red eyes, but it is possible. And that's a really, really high value skill. And I remember you know, Jason on the, on the gym floor when you don't know your elbow from your asshole. Like my, my first entrance into the coaching world was on a gym floor, so in a commercial gym space. And you know, you've studied for six weeks, you think you know a little bit about human physiology, you pick up your first client and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I <laughs> have absolutely fucking zero idea. But then again, it's back to the books, like, okay, now how can I look for application? Because level three is all to it. This is very, very fundamental physiology. Then you look at program design, you realize program design, you could study for 10 years and still wouldn't be an expert in it. Then you fucking go into all that sort of stuff as well. And it's just that agency to keep learning and pushing and striving and developing. But then equally, you don't want to go down that route of just being an academic. I just spoke to you like, you have to have real world application. So yeah, I didn't know that about the America thing, by the way. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. a fucking weird time in my life, mate. Yeah. I, I, mate all my business, I had all sorts of people square my business away, pulling stuff out, making sure, because I basically got told, we got beat, by the way, by Microsoft, which is <laughs> why I'm in this office. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a big thing in my life that happened, yeah. really, and it was, going, it was snowballing. Mm. And I was thinking, holy shit, are we actually going to do this? And there's millions of people. And it was all of a sudden we went from this little state. And in the end, we, when, when, we, when we got the got the good news about Microsoft, we was like, fuck, we need to calm down a little bit here. Let's come back to England. We'll, take, we'll, do, we'll do some things over in the British military, which is what, where we're at now. Wow, it was, a, it was a fucking crazy time in my life, mate. I'm delivering this presentation. They're, and then they're trying to break, their, their developers are trying to break our app and break through and trying to get uh, people's names and stuff on yeah. it. So we had to try and, and showcase that. And it was unbelievable, but at every step of the way, someone would get, so we had one state, three states, all the states, not just National Guard, the army, and it was yeah. like, can you do it? Can you do it? And I was just going, yeah, 100%, <laughs> yeah. bold as brass, walk out the room and go, 
Oh my fucking god! <laughs> I just signed up to. But what I like about that though is um, we actually got a question on Instagram before I stepped in here. I didn't have a look to read it all of them, but one of them was, um, "What do you see as the biggest excuse when when people fail?" And if we were to look at that from a high contour perspective, some people say, "Oh, that was a failure. We we didn't deliver on the project." But actually, you learn exponentially more in that process than if you'd landed the deal. Because well, if you landed the deal, the, op- the outcome you would have got is, well, we just fucking blagged it and it worked. Yeah. That would be the lesson you took away from it. Whereas now, well, God knows how many lessons you got away from that in terms of responding to pressure and stress, like how to communicate effectively with a team under, 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 under high stress, how to actually bring things together at an accelerated rate, how to respond to opportunity, all that sort of stuff. But on that question from the guy on Instagram, I was actually going to talk about this today because fails inside the hard to kill program we i don't usually like the word punish but we we look down on inaction rather than failure mm. we actually prefer like failure like yeah. fail quick fail faster but what are your thoughts on if you had a young guy come to you worried about failure you have to learn mm. but one of the one of the problems i have with failure is, is there's a, there's a saying isn't there where um, you either win or you learn i think is the saying so yeah, you basically like you only learn when you fail it's not and that's been wrong. smashed in jiu-jitsu <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but that's that's wrong you learn in winning as well. Mm. So one of the hardest things about winning is you've got to do it again. Mm. Now, sustainability, so winning one goal's good. Mm. Winning two is decent. Mm. So you've got to learn in that moment as well. And I think that a reflective piece in that in, on, and for action is the key ingredient to failure mm. as much as it is to winning. So we always talk about learning and failure, but the moment you get to the top, you're being hunted down. So you've got to learn in that moment quick because people are going to adapt mm. and evolve as human nature has for millions and millions of years there. Why records get broke all the time because it's never good enough. We always talk about biological tipping point and where is that? And that'll get smashed and we'll go through that scene, the four minute mile, whatever it is, and we'll just keep going and going and going. You know, and I think so both in that question from failure, it's got to come back to learning. Mm. And you've got to be open and honest with why. And the moment you can come to truth with that and you can take blame for that, there's millions of ways that people can fail. But as long as you learn from it and you come to terms with why, and you ain't gonna come to terms with it if you don't learn, or you don't really study into whether it was you, was it the environment? Tradesman always blames his tools, etc. It's not just the tools, is it? It's the tradesman. It's the trade-off between everything. Did you prepare for absolutely anything? Mm. And everything, you know, the parachute regiment model is ready for anything. And so at every single stage, you've got to be ready to adapt. And so at the time you're just about to fail and you get pushed left to go somewhere else, are you ready for that moment? And if you're not, and it was the environment that pushed you to that left, you're still to blame because you didn't prepare for that moment. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't respond. So you're, it's still you, the person, the athlete, the coach. Everyone is a team. So we win as a team, we lose as a team. UFC athletes who've lost, etc. Mm. sat in the front row watching it. Hideous. It's the, one of the worst things. And you think the fucking sound when you watch it live. You don't you don't see it on TV. You don't hear it in the same way. When you watch it live and you hear it, like just getting someone getting the fucking shit smacked out of them. Ah, it's fucking. <laughs> is... But you, but it, when they're winning, yeah, it's incredible. It's powerful. It's you, the emotion that you get from that moment. You're a part of that team is mm. incredible. But when they lose, it's the worst feeling in the world. It's worse than losing yourself because straight away I'm like, fuck, is that my bag? That's how I feel now. I, I, so, you know, and when we win, we go out on the piss and when we lose, I go back and I study. And I think, where did it go wrong? Was that me? I go back to every, I go back over every program, every lift, every rep. I go through it all and go, what did I do wrong there? And so I take it on the chin straight away. This is me. And if it's not me, at least I'm going to learn something about this yeah. process. But I'm going to be the one. I have to take the credit when we lose. 
credit when we win. Yeah. So blame intimate entirely, which I've said to a lot of my guys. We actually give a book out. And it's literally about fucking 30 pages. You might have heard of it. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, really fucking reductionist book. It's basically a cartoon, but it's a brilliant short personification of the fact that it doesn't... Sometimes your biggest enemy can become your own success because you get complacent and you sort of rest on your laurels and you stop learning the lessons. Like you said, the enemy gets a vote and everything is always adapting around you. So... I'm not saying if you grow and you're dying, but if you're not learning, you just fucking, you're not giving yourself the best chance to continue succeeding. And we give out that book, Who Moved My Cheese, because it doesn't matter how good you are, how successful you have been, you have to essentially understand you march to lace up your trainers and respond. Like the only certainty is change. How quickly you can accept that and how quickly you can respond to it ultimately determines how far you're going to go. So yeah, it's good to hear that we're on the same page of reference to failure because it's failing over and over and over and over again. In my opinion, with a lot of guys that we work with, is the way they learn to get it right, as long as they're not making the same failure multiple times. Yeah, and I, I get a lot of, there's, I always speak about, there's nothing more powerful than redemption. Mm. And a lot of the people who come to me for coaching have failed. Mm. They failed, so they want to go on UKSF selection. I failed last year, Mike. Now I want to make things right. Because everyone's got the idea that you can go do it themselves. I'm like, and you've got, like you said, go, go and give it a go. Most people do it themselves. That's absolutely fine. But there's a saying as well in, in boxing that's really hard to train when you've slept in silk sheets. Yeah. And so that's, you've got to the top, you've peaked, you've won. The underdogs are always the most powerful who may have been beaten in the past, but they're coming back. Mm. And the redemption story of that is going to be so much more powerful than you trying to get out of those silk sheets. Yeah. We, had, we have a similar quote. It's probably the same one. I've just bastardized it. If you don't win wars, if you sleep in silk pajamas. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Why a lot of our guys you know, are enormously successful in their professions, in their careers, in whatever. We encourage them to continue to do very, very hard things from a physiological perspective because it gives you a bit of a fucking reality check. Like You can't buy that outcome. Like, use the MDS example, you can't buy that medal. Mm. You have to fucking dig in your eyelids and sleep in the sand for a week to get that. But it revisits upon you some humility that we can't... One bit of success, like one hot day doesn't make a summer. Like, we have to keep fucking striving in effort to, to get the outcome that we want. And if you're going to fail multiple times, but just come to terms with, as, as you said, take it on the chin and accept responsibility. And it's failure to accept responsibility that is the only true failing, in my opinion. Like, yeah, if it happens... And you're not, and you, and the first thing you do is shift responsibility and look to point blame. First thing I'll do is look at that individual's environment. Like, how have you been brought up, mentored, educated, raised to believe that that's what we should do? And then how can we now look to change that? Because otherwise, we'll never be able to help you because you'll always think it's someone else's fault, or you, and you'll always think that's the way in which we're going to respond. So beginning to break down those beliefs until the person, because most people that respond that way is probably because they grew up in a house where they got fucking bollocking, right? So they got really good at either hiding failure or only ever winning. And it was a very dictatorial and authoritarian and demanding environment for them, especially if they were in, like, wrestling sports in America as a kid. Like, they get fucking beasted. So they get very good at just kind of hiding their failures and lying about that, which makes them unhappy as an older person. So when you look to that belief and say, well, what is it that's making you feel like you can't fucking basically take it on the chin? And let's look at that level. And then that person becomes more confident saying, right, you know what? It was actually on me and they don't the first thing that happens is they don't get a massive bollock and they get right yeah. what we're we gonna do about it then then like oh okay and then they start to feel empowered and then again like it, they start to fail forward because they're no longer they, they can innovate and we've got to be really careful how we incentivize it because if we only ever incentivize winning or like a positive outcome but people aren't sure in their ability to do it they'll just avoid it because they're like oh, i'm gonna get fucking bollocking if I, if I lean into that it's like well, what if we are, what if we now find a way to incentivize innovation and effort and you go on that pathway and then you're going to get better. You're going to start yeah. avoiding things you don't want to do or that are uncomfortable because you're not scared of getting a bollocking or you're not scared of, of, of failing, so to speak. 
Do you think that's dying out though? Because everyone wins these days. And I'm trying to put the, I'm trying to um, instill this into my little girl at the moment. She's only four. And ever I say, and she goes, or oh, should we do that? It could be quite scary or whatever. And I don't know, whatever it is. Or we're going to jump off something. And she goes, Daddy, I'm scared. I go, I know I say the same thing and she knows it's coming. And I go, do you know what the cool thing is about being scared? We're going to do it anyway. You can do it anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we go. And I yeah. think, and then what I want to do is I want to make sure that you leap. Mm. You fail, you fail. As you just said, let's go again. Mm. Jump again. I think one of the problems you get in this day and age and moving forward, one of the scariest things that's happened in humanity is that everyone wins. Everyone, yeah, everyone, with society, we're finding a way that everyone can win. I guess the good thing about the, 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 the sphere and the space that we work in is that the variable that is, will be unchanged by the test of time is fucking effort. And like whoever can find a way to imply and apply more effort is always gonna do better than the person who doesn't. Even if they were like reduced I say this to my guys quite a lot. I'm like the bar, right? A lot of people in society and a lot of people on Instagram like to gob off about how weak everyone is and that fucking men are a, a joke on this, that, and the other these days. But that means the bar's really low. So all you have to do is keep turning up and you will win. Yeah. You will beat them. So it's really fucking easy. And then I actually feel there's a responsibility on guys like you and I to keep fucking stretching the target. Not to keep moving the goalposts, but say, right, okay, if that's what we're capable of, and everyone else is happy with their participation medals, if you want to call it that, like how can we stretch to be better, to be more professional, to be more prepared, to be just fucking exceptional in that field? Like, how can we keep... So there's almost like a divide, I guess. There's going to be the people who are happy with their participation medals and, and leave them to it. But yeah, I think we're here for the people that want to not be afraid of failure and kind of, I guess, jump ship from the fucking the sinking ship that is, you know, everyone just being the same, being very mediocre, being very mediocre, and the people that want to say, no, you know what, actually, I want the courage to go for it. Because growing up as a younger man, I was never the person who had, a, had a courage to go for it. Like I was actually enormously shy, very withdrawn, had a stammer when I first started as a PT because I had a very like challenging uh, childhood and upbringing. We can go into that as much as we want, but long story short, I was left in a box when I was a fucking kid. So like I had these real fears of rejection, of not being good enough, of being unlovable. So I would typically avoid going for the thing because I was like, well, I'm not going to succeed. Uh, I can't succeed there. Like no one loves me. I'm not good enough, so on and so forth. So I firsthand seen the power of when anyone, someone gives you a bit of belief in yourself, you then no longer are, are afraid of failing. Yeah. And you're like, well, if I fail, it's not going to be that bad. So then I'll do it and do it and do it. And as long as you're reflecting on it, then it allows that upward trajectory. And that's kind of where it's allowed me to get to where I am because I'm, basically my program is building a course of all the lessons I've learned over the past 20 years of like how to just keep doing harder and harder things and keep getting up when you do inevitably fail. Because you're going to yeah. fucking fail. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to like, things are going to fuck up. But if you're if you're able to continue to to apply yourself and not be afraid of consequences, positive or negative, because of how you're mentally viewing them. Because if you look at your world, right? If you look at the military, failure in some of those environments could actually be catastrophic. Yeah. You die or someone else dies. But knowing that isn't always that helpful to you because it can paralyze you, obviously. So if you've got a frame and a perspective and you've inoculated your 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 way in, in how you handle stress, so you're able to minimize the consequence or perception of threat in that moment to allow you to to do the right thing, even though it's maybe the hardest thing to do, then you get mission success. But you had to fucking frame how you see it in that moment. Yeah, and that's the kind of the caveat of knowledge that I'm fascinated with at the moment is like, how do we allow people to keep metaphorically and physically like fucking stretching their boundaries by finding that, that part in their life, like keep stretching the fucking, keep stretching the goalpost. Yeah, and I think one of the dramas with this environment is that not caring is cool. Yeah. Um, well, do you know what's fucking cool is winning. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking cool. Yeah. And winning multiple times. That's, yeah. that's cool. 
And what I remember, um, as you rightly said, about the military side, of, and especially the paratroopers, we all just so happened to have made it into this moment and we had a team. And I can remember this uh, an op in Afghan, and we called it Op Certain Death. <laughs> and we was going through, we was going through the map, we was going through what was the course of action. And I remember just at the end of it, and everyone's looking and thinking, "Fucking hell!" And then we just went, "All right, we're coming up. Let's yeah. go." And yeah. that was it. And it's done. It's like, let's fucking see what happens. And I. I have this moment now whenever I go on stage to a talk, whenever I do this, and I was the same as you when I was younger. I was, the fear of failure was so strong, mm. I'd often not even try it. Mm. Where now I have this, I don't know what, I don't know where the turning point came. Mm. I don't know if you can pinpoint one specific thing where you went, I ain't scared anymore, mm. fuck it. But now every time I go on stage or do anything, I have this in my mind, I'll go, how great can I be today? Mm. Scary. Yeah. You know. Uh, when, when, I've, when I've spoke in front of like doctors and, and all sorts of people like that, and I think every person in this room should really know more about the body than me. So I have to be on it here. Mm. I get one thing wrong and my credibility goes out the window. Everything else I now say is irrelevant because I've said something completely wrong. Mm. And I'm like, it's like, oh, do you know what? I'm here for a reason. Fuck it, let's go. Yeah. And I have this moment where I go like, how great can I be today? And that's the last thing I say before I go and do something. Mm. I think referring back to when it unlocked for me, if I'm really honest, the first time I can remember getting onto a new sort of level and line of thinking was I had a client, it was a fucking brilliant client. His name was Roy and he was like age group triathlon, smashing it, like 50, multiple successful businesses, still an age group triathlon for GB, like just a fucking beast. Uh, and he recognized that I was holding myself back in many different facets of life. Um, and he, he recommended the chimp paradox. He was like, you need to read this book, son. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm a dad. But I read it and within three pages, I was like, this was written for me. And that was my first ever exposure to something like self-development literature. And that was what, fucking going back 10 years now? Uh, that was absolutely incredible. And then that was when I decided to do a bodybuilding comp. Now, the reasons for me doing the bodybuilding comp were maybe not fully aligned with the man I am today, but I had people around me because I was a strength guy. I was a performance guy. Oh, you can't fucking win a bodybuilding show. Like, I was built like a potato, a fucking strong potato, but I used to play in the front row in rugby. So like, I can't win bodybuilding shows. And I literally remember being there, like phone rolling one day and being like, well what's actually stopping me? Like, there's, there's, there's nothing that's stopping me from doing that. I can fucking do that. So I gave it a pop, and obviously I started coming up against, like, self-limiting beliefs and thinking I wasn't good enough and so on and so forth. And again, it was that curiosity of, like, I wonder if there's any more, like, literature out there that I could, like, listen to, and it, it helped me, like, just have one thing to say to myself that made me stop behaving that way. And that's when I started behaving in a different way. And there's also been, you know, you and I are probably very similar in this regard. I've invested in multiple mentors to to show me how to do things more effectively and quicker. And I just, I really see the value in coaching for that reason. And when they've just shown you a morse of belief and it allowed me to, to surrender to the fact that I am fucking good enough. Like, yeah. absolutely, I'm good enough. I've got to prove it. Like, and that's maybe there's a disconnect. Like everyone in society is happy to say, I'm good enough. Yeah, you know, you, you, you're worthy of not being in pain or in fear or et cetera. You're good enough for that. But if you want to be excellent and you want to stake that claim that you are good enough, prove it. Yeah. So it's like, like your question, how good can I be today? It's like, well, fuck, we'll fucking prove it. And, you know, when I started studying more about neuroscience, neurology and neurochemistry, and I get myself in these very, very high pressure situations, I'm just then tuning into what's that conversation that's going on in my head and how can I look to diffuse that now? Like, what do I have to say with that? You know, there's no simple one. It's fucking anxiety and stress. People are like, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. Well, right, stop. Let's break it down. What are you actually feeling in the moment? And most often it's people are having a physiological response because they're about to do something that actually they need to be ready for. You're gonna jump off a cliff with you and your daughter. She actually needs to be scared, right? Yeah. Or she'd be a, a genuine psychopath. Yeah. She needs to be scared. So, okay, you're not scared. Your body's just sensing a threat and it's actually, it's getting you ready. Like, you're ready. 
Um, and I used to use that bit when I was doing jiu-jitsu as well. I was like, I'm not, I'm not fucking scared. I'm fucking ready, son. Like, my body's evolved for hundreds of thousand years to fucking do this shit. Like, I'm fucking game. Let's go. And I never used to have that courage about me, that conviction about me when I was, like, a young teenager. The only way I'd get it out was on a rugby park. And I didn't know what was happening. I used to get so nervous, I'd fucking puke my breakfast up at least twice. Yeah. And then I'd go out and fucking bury someone. I'd be happy with that. So knowing that I had it in me, it then just begun that, that explorative path of, well, how can I find that, that, that channeled aggression? And how can I appeal to that? Because I don't think aggression is a dirty word. I think aggression is a large driving force behind where you and I are in our lives. Because on a daily basis, getting out of bed, doing your fears, being rigid, having discipline, doing the right things, taking the meetings, it requires a bit of just a tiny morsel of aggression to just do that and overcome the mental friction of, I don't feel like doing it, don't care, get it done. Yeah, like, it, it requires that. So that was when it started to turn for me, which is probably a bit unconventional, but that's definitely when I started to notice it. Yeah, and I think that's the gap in the market that you mentioned where people are happy to be weak. Mm. People are happy to fail. There's a huge gap there for just a bloke to turn up and just like apply a little bit of aggression, mm. a little bit of intensity, and you'll win every single time. Yeah. And I, I think that now when I say that to everyone, you know, this, as the world's getting weaker, there's a fucking huge gap in the market for you, mate. Go and yeah. be a big grizzly bear. Just, big just, yeah, just, just turn up, literally. It's that simple, turn up. And, you know, I've never, I've never first-hand experienced it myself, but I live quite a secluded life, so I guess I wouldn't, but... People speak about how harder it is to be to be hyper masculine and so on and so forth. But you and I have kind of crafted our own universe, so maybe we don't see it in the same way. I don't know if you've experienced it, but I haven't. But it doesn't mean it's not going on. And a lot of the guys that reach out to work with us, and maybe similarly in the same program, are like, "I want to be, I want to be part of something where it's not wrong to just fucking do do hard shit." Yeah. Like where it's not because people call it hyper masculinity, etc. So on and so forth. Like, well, if you feel good when you're sitting around a fire with your mates chatting shit, talking about doing hard stuff, then why would you not do that? Let's lean into that. So yeah, I don't know if you've experienced that like in, from, from your fucking side of the world. No, uh, I don't think so, because most most of my demographic are either British paratroopers already or Royal Marines. They've gone through a load of hardship to get to this moment, and they go, well, I ain't settling. Mm. So their mindset's already that they're all, they've already became something great, but they want to be something greater. And so I've already, I've already got you know, a great model in there already where I can almost handpick who, who I want to work with. And they've got that mindset, like myself, to go and be something great. Yeah. And so I'm quite lucky in that sense. And they don't really get to that moment. If, if they're they not haven't. the right person. Um, so I'm quite lucky in that. Do you, do you have that? Well, we're seeing it more and more in the States. Like, so obviously we recently had our event over here in Colorado and uh, a great deal of the guys that came were like, it's just becoming less socially acceptable to talk about it out loud. Like yeah. what you kind of get up to in your own time. Uh, like a lot of them are huntsmen. A lot of them, you know, are really successful in their corporate jobs and like whatever it is they, they do professionally, but they can't really talk about the hunting trip where they got a big horn with a bow at the weekend because everyone would be a bit like, ooh, like that's not acceptable. That's not yeah. okay anymore. And like I said, it's become uncool and unsexy to work really fucking hard and go after something. But what is acceptable? Yeah. <laughs> what is acceptable? Probably not a lot of what we said today. Yeah. Nah, they, none of this can go out. <laughs> yeah. Fucking, yeah. yeah, this will get uh, cancelled on YouTube soon, but... Yeah. There's nothing that's acceptable anymore. Something will always upset someone. I think that's probably a disconnect where, you know, winning is then the bar has been changed with winning because there's two ways and every choice is a chance and one typically gets remunerated maybe with more success, acknowledgement, impact. And if you look at yourself, you're a great, great uh, advertisement of how if you go down one route, the success that you're enjoying and you're earning the impact you're having on the industry and other coaches, so on and so forth. So if you go on one route, that's totally fine, but maybe you're not going to receive the same level of acknowledgement because you're not having the same level of impact on as many people's lives. I think we've got to be really honest about that. Which is fine. Yeah. And people will hate the shit that I do, which is fine. It's, I've got no dramas with that. So 
I'm not going to start calling them out and get start getting upset over it. You know, yeah. it is what it is. You're never going to make everybody happy in whatever you do. Yeah. Because you know, there's as you say, there's cells, there's groups of people out there who don't like it. There's groups of people who do like it. Pick pick a group. <laughs> yeah, pick a group. Run with it. Um, so bring it slightly back on topic because we've gone off into fucking geopolitics and shit. Um, what's the what's the future for Mike look like? Dominance. <laughs> you know, I asked the same question to every athlete in my book, and every single one of them, you, it was completely. What I wanted to do is part of the book. I basically come up with. Um, I talk about something, for example, strength. I say, here's how I got to this um, version of what I believe strength is. Here's the history of what I've done in the military regarding it. And if you don't believe me, here's the world's strongest man. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do when I brought the world's strongest man in, so uh, the Stoltmans, I brought the brothers in, I wanted to make sure there was nothing scripted. I wanted to make sure, and I did that for every single person coming in. I wanted to ask them questions and bring them in. So I wanted it raw. Mm-hmm. And one of the things at the end, I asked them exactly the same question. And every single person used the term dominance. Mm. And I thought, isn't that a fucking very strange thing? Mm. All of these people are high-flying, whether that's in business, whether that's being a top 10 UFC, whether you're world's strongest man, whether you've gone to SF, whatever it is, all of them, dominant, use the same word. And I was thinking, that is so powerful. I was like, um, and it's something I've taken away from it myself. Um, how? How do we go and dominate? Mm. And that's the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the position I'm in now. I've got myself in a very good position. Life's good. No one's trying to shoot me. Um, I can go home every night. <laughs> well, you are in Liverpool, mate. So. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's the <laughs> We're in the posh part, mate. And um, so now it's just about dominating the scene, dominating the industry. And, you know, I've, I've, the company's um, looking into them individually, getting help, staying on my lane, bringing other people in to make me drive it forward um, with, without ever compromising what the product looks like. Mm-hmm. So the moment that does, you settle. Um, you go again, maintain that foundation, and you can't just keep growing until you keep moving in. in uh, you utilize the term belts before. As you keep going up in those belts, you've got to stay in that moment. You can't go for the next belt straight away. You know, consolidate. Mm-hmm. What does this look like? How do I get better in this with this belt? Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at in business now, and I want to just keep dominating those little areas and keep moving forward. 100%. I like the fact you said that you just consolidate the position because um, there is a tendency for people to want to rush. And Tim, I think this quote was in Tim Kennedy's book or one of them was like, don't rush to your death. Like, by just trying to race everything, you're typically just going to speed up how quickly you want to quit. Whereas the latest science shows is that your identity trails your reality by one to two years. Yeah, nice. So that's the reason why people who have done it incredibly well and lost a lot of body fat, as an example, then really struggle to to continue to push past that because their identity is still catching up in terms of how they view food, their habits, etc. It's also the reason why people who accrue wealth really quickly typically lose it equally as quickly because they haven't learned. They've, they've studied so hard how to become wealthy but not how to stay wealthy. And obviously in business, it looks a lot like, so we're operating brilliantly now at this new echelon. We've got X amount of clients and we're delivering X amount of services across those parameters. Well, now my identity needs to catch up. I am the person who does that. And then as a result, the vision can be stretched. But the danger we have is when we rush through step to step to step to step to step to step you're still, you know, arguably the guy you were two years ago, coaching a business that's now 10 year developed in a two year time frame. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know how to fucking operate with this. Yeah. And then there's all belief systems come back into the fray and, you know, we, we undermine ourselves and stuff like that. So it's not about being deliberately slow, but enjoy the fucking ride, I guess, is the message. Yeah, and, and you always revert back to your habits. Mm. So unless you ingrain new habits, healthier habits that become rituals, you'll go back to those. You'll go always revert back. So when something goes wrong, which it always does in business, and I'm pretty confident you've seen <laughs> yeah. that as much as I have, you go back to what you know. Mm. So unless you can sustain and then you can consolidate, 
don't move forward. Mm. Just work in that little area, make sure everything's ticking nicely. Mm. And I have to, there's two things, either working in the business or on it. And so from the business point of view, when I'm working in it, I'm coaching and with the athletes. So what I can I cannot possibly work on it until everyone in there is done and they're online, they're on track. Everyone's now going towards their aim, we're running towards it. Because right, steady the ship, now I can work on it. Now I can come over here, Dave. How much of that you get is how good you become over here. And if I take more and more people on, I'm never gonna be working on it anymore. So it's gonna become really difficult and it will all fall down. Um, so same question, mate. What's next for you? So what I really like is you gave like a one word answer and I have a similar word that I spend a lot of time thinking about, which is um, just being undeniable. Nice. So in terms of my intent, it allows you a very obvious North Star. So when you're doing something, are you doing it just good enough or as good as you possibly can? Because one will make you undeniable. The other will make you, oh, maybe I'm kind of in that level of conversation. Not good enough, right? We want to be undeniable. And that's in everything that I do. So my own personal standards, if I were to ask Char, like, okay, do you perceive I'm this kind of person? Char's my other half, by the way. If, I, if I'm this kind of person, it would be an undeniable, yes, do you do that? Like, if people to mention, okay, what's the best program for X? Hustle program. That is undeniability. Whereas if you're just kind of half committed, you're toe in the water, you're just as good as you think you should be rather than as good as you must possibly maximally can be, then you're not undeniable. So it allows me that, that kind of North Star, because you and I are very similar here. We're both on a relentless pursuit. Like, you'll never... I guess, know how to be fully dominant and I'll never know how to be fully undeniable because it's by default, every time we, we attain a level, we uncover, well, the next level could look like this. Like, how do we fucking keep going with that? So every time you solve a puzzle, you get, and that's that to me, might not be everyone's cup of tea. I think you and I are on the same page, but that's enormously exciting. Yeah, I'll yeah. never have to wake up and be like, is this, is this it? Is this what I do now for the next 20 years? Like, There's always going to be new puzzles to solve. Yeah, and that, that's a scary thought, mate. If you wake up and you're going to work every day and you're thinking... Mm. I can, well, at least I can retire in 25 years the famous ones in the military the pension trap in the military like oh, I've only got 12 years to push and I'm like 12 years, why man. do you even think if you're thinking that mm. leave yeah you know it's 12 I've only got 12 years to push I'm like what the fuck is that statement like if you ain't enjoying it move on you're not a fucking tree move <laughs> yeah 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 and that's it's kind of where it's a very gray area that we're leaning into the program a little bit now where spirituality enters the conversation. Which yeah, is it's one of the H2F things that the US military's taking on. Yeah, it's very... It's, it's one of the things, sorry, I couldn't get my head around. Yeah. When it first came up, I was thinking, we had to have the five pillars of health. When we was doing this, I had to make the tech, as I go back before, coincide with H2F, which are the five pillars of health that US military's got. One of them is spiritual. And I had everything nailed on before I had them nailed and I thought, they are bomb-proof, undeniable spiritual i couldn't get my head around thinking in my head i was thinking not everyone likes god yeah and that's the only thing i could think of and i was thinking how does that possibly play into physical development which i think you were just about to tell me yeah well like it's it's really interesting there's there's one word and we'll talk about spirituality also talk about the word creativity as well whenever we do live calls with our guys if i'm introducing something new or i'm discussing a topic i'll always ask first like i just love to know where your thoughts are about this like i'm gonna say a word then i want to type in the chat like what's your immediate flash reaction that comes up and spirituality um, is normally like God botherers, Bible bashers, uh, hippies, all that sort of stuff. And that's not to mean that people saying that are, are bad people. Just to the, the honesty you've demonstrated, that's the perception that we have of, oh, I'm not religious and I don't like burning incense, so why would I be bothered about fucking spirituality? It's actually understanding, and this is my very, very crude, rudimentary fucking one-liner, 
it's understanding the spiritual vision of who you aspire to be and that you're doing it for a purpose bigger than yours. Like, like for you and I, most of the fruits of what we do will never be seen by us. Like we know what success looks like to us in our little world. What about all the people we touch, reach and impact? We'll never know what it looks like. So we're doing it for something bigger than ourselves. And that to me is spirituality. I'm not particularly religious. Is there someone out there? I don't know. On any different day, I'll give you a different answer. But I, I do believe there is something that we're, we're pushing into and it is, it's what, what is it we aspire to do being achieved and how does that fucking inspire us in the greatest sense of the word? Yeah, nice, man. I appreciate that. And it's one of the, it's, you know, your fruits of your labor you'll never see. And if you do your job well now, your fruits of labor should be coming out 15, 20 years time. And when I delivered a pr- program for um, a program called Op Achilles, we tripled the parachute regiment pass rate and we had an 88.5% chance of passing P company. For 17 year olds and that was unheard of it hadn't been done before and i remember stood in front of every defense attaché in the world and every commander of the british military saying what you see now is great but it ain't the best thing about this program these boys will never be injured they're ready for whatever you throw at them for the next 20 years because we built the foundation so the fruits of our labor will not be seen and i will never see it because i'll be gone you'll probably be gone so but that's the best part about this whole thing is that you'll never see the greatness that we just delivered. Yeah, it's something I exponentially bigger than yourself, which yeah. is immeasurably impressive. And even if we dare to say, well, what happens when we take those young men out of uniform as well? When we take those young men out of uniform, both while serving and after service, their relationship with their body, with their physical training, with their level of preparedness, with their nutrition, with all of the facets that comp- like, uh, are comprised within being a high-level athlete, they're going to be exponentially improved because they had someone who... Who taught them, who nurtured them, who coached them, who, yeah, it was fucking stern, like this is the route and this is what we're gonna go down, but actually gave them a reference point. Because we've had guys like we have quite a few officers in the program at the moment who have gone through all arms, etc. And it's not until they come to us and they're in a proper coaching program that they've ever actually been taught how to lift. They've never been taught how to lift. And it's like these are the these are the fundament, this is this is the hammer to the builder. And you've never been taught how to use the hammer and you've been expected to build a fucking house. And so the impact you're having on them, and then if you also look outside of that, well, these these young men are eventually probably going to be fathers and what lessons are they going to pass on to their children how are they going to approach nutrition with their wife with their family so what is the inclination that their children then also join the military because they're inspired that it will make them a better person and let's not fuck around if we look at the socioeconomics a lot of people join infantry regiments because they they haven't got many other opportunities so you've now given them and their family opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have had maybe they go into coaching they enjoy the success that we have so that to me is where the gray area of i guess sort of almost capitalism productivity physiology and spirituality all come together is that we'll look at the impact we're having on the world yeah like look at the fucking the huge spiritual impact we're having on, on the entire human race as a result of us fucking asking how can we be great in this moment how can we be dominant or how can we be undeniable that's the spiritual impact second question i asked uh, my guys was what do you think about the word creativity and again most were like fucking hippies and stuff which i found really interesting because in my perspective creativity is the number one survival skill if you if you're not able to create and iterate then you're pretty much fucked if you can only ever do what you've been told and you know you spoke earlier about about paratroopers having that degree of initiative that maybe isn't found in line infantry regiments well ultimately it's creativity yeah it's the ability to understand the problem frame that problem hedge some courses of action develop them and, and do the war games and then well this is our plan that was a creative process, whether we, whether, we, whether we know it or not. Yeah, and you look on social media now, I think 1% of creators, and the yeah. 99% follow the creators. 99% are fucked, because yeah, yeah. they follow whatever it is yeah. that yeah. these boys and girls do, and often in the wrong hands, it's dangerous. Mate, I think I think you're an incredibly interesting guy. Um, your social media is incredible. So those who 
if they're ever looking for my platforms, mm. where can they find you and more information on you? Cool. So uh, on Instagram, I believe I'm Mark underscore Rhodes underscore HTK. If you're sure if you just search Mark Rhodes HTK, it'll probably come up. Do make the distinction between the American hard to kill fitness, I think it's called. They actually got really salty that they, we share the same name and I think they blocked me. But there is a distinction between that. Um, that's unfortunate, but it's what it is. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Again, if you type in Mark Rhodes, hard to kill. Um, and obviously this should be going on the podcast. So you probably already be, be aware of the podcast there as well. And the same in return. I think a great many of my guys maybe already be aware of you. If they're not, how could they, how could they, they see your dominance in the future, mate? <laughs> Hopefully. So <laughs> it's um, at Coach Matt Chadwick yeah. across all social media platforms. And if they, I genuinely hand on heart mean this. I know a lot of people say this and don't. If they do ever just want to delve into something that we spoke about today, and ask further questions. My inbox is genuinely always open and I genuinely love this shit. And all I want to do is pass knowledge on. 100%. Um, and I'm more than happy to take on anything that they want to do. Um, 100%. So come and find me. Um, it's similar with, there was a quote I, I came across. So you, are you familiar with Admiral William McRaven? There he wrote the fucking, a few little books. One about making your bed, which is a bit bone, yeah, but the other ones are pretty good. good. And there was a quote in that of a shepherd always, um, a shepherd should smell of his sheep. I really like that because, again, in our world where people are in a rush to become an influencer and distance themselves away as far as possible from the people they're trying to help, they become so out of touch they don't know how to communicate or how to solve those problems or or basically just converse with those people. And, and the same is true in reverse. Like, I spend a lot of time in my inbox, whether I like it or not, because it gives me the capacity to, to speak to people and see what it is they're struggling with, what it is they're dealing with, and help them get them unstuck. And even if I can't help them get them unstuck, it's often a really cathartic experience and just saying, this is what I'm struggling with and it's really pissing me off. Cool. You're looking for a solution or you're looking to fucking just vent either yeah. or it's all good yeah so cool mate it's been a pleasure we've done an hour and a half now um probably could have gone on for another couple of hours but it's been it's been a genuine pleasure so thank you very much for the opportunity mate it's been it's been awesome pleasure mate thank you very much cool, cool.